I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. This is our season preview show and joining me, well, there's nobody better than uh, my good friend, esteemed journalist, producer, podcaster, whatever you want to call him, uh, Mike Stavrou. Welcome back to the programme, mate. It's been a few weeks. How are you? It's been a long time, man. It's It's been a very long time since I've heard those dulcet tones of yours harry well, uh, you well you gave me the big intro so i've got to give you a bit bit of one back but uh yeah man it's it's good to be back it has been a long time i've got a lot of stuff um you know i, I want to say that i've been sort of thinking about for a, for a long time but i've not had that the outlet um because you know i decided just to take a bit of a step back over the summer um have a bit of a you know time to relax and uh now i see it's, it's you know it's it's the week of the season so it's exciting times now. We're we're officially back. You do need that, don't you, over the summer? And one of my big regrets of the summer is that I haven't really had that. I kind of planned to at the start of the summer. I yeah. said to myself, I've been working really, really hard the past season. You know, you know, I was working days, nights, yeah. weekends. And I got to the point where towards the back end of last season where I started to feel a bit of burnout. Like, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I did. And... I kept saying to myself, over the summer, I need to have a break. Over the summer, I need to take some time out. And it just never materialized. And now yeah. I'm kind of like, shit, the season is just around the corner again. And it's all going to yeah. start again. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a there's a real importance in in taking a bit of time out. Do you feel better for it? 100%, man. I feel, I feel refreshed. I've still been working, but um, I've just sort of, you know, worked to my own pace and not try to cram in too much stuff because, you know, the... It, I think it's periods where like the end of the season and like, it's so, it's so much of a, for, for people like us, like when we work around the football calendar, it, it gets to that point where, you know, there's transfers and then there's the end of the season. And then, you know, and then watching it as a fan as well, on top of all that is, is hard, but then having to talk about it afterwards, like, I think that last week of the season, um, you know, the last few games against Spurs and Newcastle took quite a lot out of me. So I, th I thought, you know, let's just have a break. But I'm back and I'm ready. Preseason's been good. The signings have been good. Um, even though last time we were on here, people were having a moan up about the lack of signings. But I'm back and uh, and the signings are here. So, yeah, it's all positive, man. Before we dive into some of the specifics, because we're going to talk about things like, you know, our expectations in the Premier League this season, our expectations in the Europa League, who we think might be the player of the year, who do we expect to have maybe a breakthrough season? We're going to get into lots of different categories as we kind of build up towards uh, the start of the Premier League campaign, which is just days away now. But in terms of the summer overall, because we haven't spoken for a few weeks on this show, mm. what have you made of Arsenal's transfer window so far? How would you yeah. rate it out of 10? And, and just basically talk to us a little about a little bit about your general feelings on the window. Yeah, I think I like I go back to that last one we did and uh at that time I think um we it was just before we signed Fabio Vieira or just after so it was Vieira, Marquinhos and uh and Turner. I think those were the the sort of main signings we we'd made. So at that point I think it was fair enough to question, you know, why is it slow? We know what we need, why have we not got it? And I think 
we both said at the time, you know, let's have a patience, let's have, you know, let's let's give them the the opportunity to do so because uh, you know there there was players on internationals which obviously slows things down because you can't get in contact with them uh, as, as you need them. You know, they're on their holidays and it, you know people think it's excuses, but you know that that is how it works. You, you need to have open lines of communications between all parties, and if if one of them parties are not available for whatever reason, it will slow things up. So obviously Arsenal did have their targets. Um, they they did have the the ones that they wanted to bring in, and we know Jesus was was a top priority, um, and that's come in. So if if I if I look at the window overall, I think at the moment we're at. Um, I'm not going to go too high. I'm going to go seven and a half out of ten, and there's a few reasons for that. So I think incomings, all of them so far have been have been have been great. Um, there's there's one question mark over Fabio Vieira that I have, um, and that's just because I've not seen enough of him. I don't really know much about him and given the outlay that we you know spent same fee there or thereabouts as Zinchenko we don't really know what we're getting for that sort of money but we do know with Zinchenko and we do know with Jesus I think Marquinhos and Turner they go into different categories because one's for the future and one's a sort of backup goalie so they can be compartmentalized a bit but in terms of the income is overall I'm, I'm very happy we've brought in experience we've brought in uh, players with a win, winning mentality uh, Premier League proven um, so I think those are the right direction. I think where my sort of question marks lie a little bit um, is over the outgoings. I think uh, obviously this has to be, you know, you have to take it in context with how difficult it, the, you know, the the pandemic and and you know other you know world factors have played a part in teams out of the Premier League um, not being able to sign players and not having as much money uh, to, to do what they need to do. So I think. You know, a few years ago, sales like Torreira, who had a decent spell at, at Fiorentina, would have been much easier. And I think he, he would he would have gone there easily and that would have been done months ago. Um, but it, it just so happens that the sort of profile and age of player that we're looking to get out, player, teams are not going to make much money off them when if they decide to sell them on. So so the player that we did sell really easily was um, uh, Gwenduzi. We sold him early on because he, he's at the right age and... Um, People know that clubs know that if they buy him, it's an investment, and they can they can sell him on later on. Did we get enough for him though? Well, that's the that's the question, isn't it? And I think um, we have we clearly have a good relationship with Marseille because we've we've just sent Nuno Tavares there. Um, so maybe it's a it's a part of that, you know, wanting to keep them sweet um, for for future loan transfers. I, I do think we could have got more, but I think there's always that thing with Guendouzi's this attitude, and I think there there will be certain things with, with a player that will make them slightly less desirable so I, i'm not really sure how many other clubs would have taken a punt on him but obviously because he was at marseille for, for a year and they they knew him they they probably you know well obviously they thought that they could they could circumvent that in some way or you know accept that in some way um so so that's the outgoings obviously i'm frustrated like leno looks like we're, we're gonna get about eight million that's you know you'd like a bit more but for a goalkeeper of, of his age that's fine. And then in terms of the other sort of section of it that I was thinking of was that I think we're just a few shy. I think we need a central midfielder to um, replace or provide competition for Granite Xhaka in that advanced sort of number eight role that he's playing right now. Um, we'll talk about how Zinchenko affects that later on. But um, yeah, I think we need a, a midfielder and I think we can do with another attacker, a wide player to sort of provide competition because I think we're a little bit light if um, one of the key players gets injured. But overall, like seven and a half at this stage, we've still, you know, 
a good month to go. I think it's pretty good. I think hearing yesterday that uh, following Balogun is close to leaving the club on loan as well has kind of given me more confidence that Arsenal are going to go out and bring in an attacker because we Maybe. were only one injury away from him being the backup striker. And I'm not saying we're going to buy a like for like, like a, a centre forward and nailed on centre forward, but I do think him moving on as well clears that space for us to potentially go and get another one. We know that outgoings have to happen before we're going to move forward in terms of further recruitment. I expect Arsenal between now and the window to bring in one more. Um, you know, we can have a debate back and forth. Is that inside info, Harry, or is that just your... No, no, it's 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 just my okay. it's just my opinion. Okay. Um, no inside info. And even if it was inside info, they'd probably yeah. shoot me down for giving it if they were giving it to me, but they're not. Uh, unfortunately, despite what people say in the comments, I'm not on the Arsenal payroll. I don't have uh any sort of uh any sort of line into the club. It's literally just my opinions. Uh, yeah. which are based on on what's out there for everybody. So I think one more will come in. I think that that's the most likely outcome between now and the end of the window. But people moving on is is, is something that we really need to do. I'm just conscious of time because I want to dive into the yeah. new season. Ultimately, that's yeah. what we're here to do. But just quickly, your thoughts on Lucas Torreira, who this evening is being heavily linked with a move away uh, to uh, Galatasaray. Now, I'm yeah. really surprised there's somebody who's been talking about home is the fact that he's homesick and yeah. all of this stuff is now going to pick up, get his stuff and go and join a football club that are in a part of the world that is totally different mm. to the place he claims he's missing. Totally different to Italy and environment in which he grew as a player and is very, very used to. Yeah. This just it is weird to me. I look at this and, and I feel a bit of sadness because when we signed Lucas Torreira, being a big Serie A fan, I was really excited about that deal. I really, really was. I thought this is a guy who can, you know, really develop here, who can be one of our key players in the future if, if you know, he hits the ground running. But from the beginning, Mike, it was just complaint after complaint after complaint. I don't want to live here. I, and I get that, you know, maybe he didn't sort of fall in love with England. It's It's an easy place to fall out of love with, let's be honest. But at the same time, you know, he keeps talking and he's not helping himself. And even after a very successful season in Italy last season with Fiorentina, nobody's willing to cough up six, seven million euros for him. What, what's your take yeah. on Torreira and the future of the uh, Uruguay? I mean, yeah, it, it seems a bit of a running theme with some of our players, Harry. And it's a sort of typical, you know, of that that signing and the era that we talk about because, you know, we talk about Guendouzi. I think he was bought in the same window as uh, as Torreira, and then I think Lena was also bought in that in that window under Emery. So these are all players that we're trying to ship out. So it, it's almost like the the last of the of the old guard that we need to get rid of before we can you know completely one hundred percent move on. Um, and it's just that type of player that if they're unhappy, they'll come out and say it, which just makes their value plummet. Like Torreira's come out and said he doesn't want to be at Arsenal, pretty much. And he and he wants to move. And, you know, there was I remember him talking about why the Fiorentina move uh, didn't work out. And he said, you know, there's certain people that that made, you know, made it difficult. And when you talk so openly, you know, play it. Well, number one, your, your value plummets because all of a sudden the, the buying club know that your club desperately want to get rid of you and your transfer listed. So that already gives you a disadvantage as a selling club. And then it, it also makes the the club that are buying you think, well, you know, what's going to happen when if you get unhappy here? You, you, you've already been unhappy at, at your old club. You had a loan spell at Atletico Madrid, which didn't quite work out. 
um, mm. and it's not worked out at Arsenal. So why am I going to take a, a risk on you? I, I, th I think that's how I kind of read it. But, you know, if we can get rid of him and get a fee, I think it's, you know, it's not ideal. But how many players have we let go on free? Um, how many players yeah. have we had to pay up their contract? So even getting something out of it is 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 a is a net positive it's not a big net positive but it's better than you know negative yeah absolutely absolutely okay look it's taken us 12 and a half minutes but let's dive into uh the preview of the upcoming season and it's a season i think it's fair to say it is being billed as as one that you know we can take a lot of hope going into it's one that we look at in a positive light at the moment based on what i would say is the progress we've seen over probably the last 18 or so months now at Arsenal Football Club. Um, what are your expectations with regards to the Premier League? Because obviously that's your bread and butter. We know that we narrowly missed out on a top four finish last season. And, you know, we could you could argue that that would have potentially accelerated the process further. Yeah. We didn't quite make that. But now how are you feeling about the new campaign? And where do you think Arsenal should be aiming to finish? Uh, forget wait 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 not just aiming where do you think they should be aiming to finish and well, i think they, they will. will finish yeah um you know what i heard a, a edu interview and i think you went over it as well on here so everyone be fully aware but he was saying you know top four is not enough um and i wonder if those comments will sort of come back to bite him a little bit because um do you remember harry we you always used to say this but i think it might have been two years ago now, but someone asked him what's Arsenal's target and he refused to say. Yep. And I think that's important. I don't think you should put that sort of stuff in the media because it's always just going to come back to bite you. Because if, if things go wrong, if we get loads of injuries, um, you know, if we go on a on a bad run of results and the, the pressure's ramping up and the top four doesn't happen, you know, you're you're ultimately just gonna make yourself look a bit silly. So I, I don't think them statements are, are kind of good. Um, and I don't think Arsenal should be looking to compete for the title right now. I don't, I don't think we're near it. I think Man City and uh, Liverpool are another level, um, and it's at least, you know, another few years before we even think about that. Um, so I think they should be aiming to to push for third. I think third, if you sort of land there and you're sort of a bit above fourth and you can and fifth and you can avoid that sort of last gasp top four you know battle that we always seem to bottle in, in the last few years i think if, if you can sort of go for that you're absolutely laughing i mean imagine us going into the last week of the season already securing top four and we could have done it last year if we if we won our games but but we we didn't so you know i, I, th I think that should be the go on you you wanted to butt in there go on i, I was just gonna say like i get what you're saying about edu sort of maybe running a bit of a risk by kind of saying what he said yeah i think i don't really think he can win in this situation because if you think back to the start of last season he was heavily criticized for the fact that he didn't give an objective away now i wonder if a lot of that criticism was fueled by the fact that he gave that interview after we lost our first three games the mood was very toxic the mood was very kind of agitated uh, you know I don't know how to describe it but there was a lot of ill feeling around Arsenal at that point so him sort of refusing to give an objective I know was probably the right thing to do and I said at the time it was mm. but it did antagonize those people didn't it that were already kind of pushing for him and Mikel Arteta to be given their marching orders 
I think if he says that top four is the target, which I think is the target, then he could be perceived to lack ambition. I think a lot of Arsenal fans would dress it up that way if he was to say that. So I think he kind of has to say that overall, our overall ambitions and goals are to win the biggest things in football. I think as when you're a club of Arsenal size, you can't say anything but that. I fear that people will take that too literally and feel, and, and feel as though he was talking about this upcoming season when actually it, that, it wasn't. He probably wasn't. Like no. No, it was meant, wasn't. it was meant, you know, Generally. as a more broader general mm. concept. But yeah, I think it's, it's a really hard thing. But I think with Edu, what I like about him, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, feel free to jump in, is that I like the line of communication that he has with the fans. And at times you will get situations and instances where maybe he crosses the line with regards to what he says, what he should and shouldn't say. But I quite like the fact that there's a lot more transparency and we're not having mm. to second guess every single move. Um, at, but with that means that people are going to hold you accountable to your word and, and there's not going to be much wiggle room. Yeah, but what I wonder, Harry, is like, what do you... So obviously the overall objective for a club this size should be to to battle for titles and stuff. But, you know, I, I think I think that's just a, a thing you say. And it's just, you know, if you if you lessen them publicly, you sort of, you know, you, you look a bit, you look a bit silly and, as well. So this, this it's a double-edged sword, but what I was going to ask you is what do you think their actual ambition is? Because I, we said, well, I think we both said last season, they were, they were aiming for top four. Sorry. They were, they, they were aiming to be competitive for, yeah. for top four. I don't think top four was the actual objective based on where they were, but what do you think their objective is this season? It's got to be Champions League qualification. Yeah. However, that is achieved. It can be achieved via the Europa League. It can be achieved via the Premier League. I think that I'm, I'm seeing in the chat as well. Um, a few people are kind of looking at this in a little bit more of an analytical way, i.e. how many points should Arsenal be looking to pick up in the Premier League this season? Uh, Chris Chan says 80 plus points as the goal. Well, if you think about last season, we managed 69. Mm. And I think when you take into consideration that we lost 13 games, which is just way too much. I think 80 is is a realistic target, but 80 is much more difficult to achieve than it looks on the surface because Chelsea, who finished third last season, only managed 74. Yeah. If you'd have got 80 points last season, you'd have still been 12 points behind Liverpool in second. So I, I think maybe the target needs to be a bit lower. I think maybe if I'm coming up with a target myself, I'm probably looking at 75 points. And I think there's a good chance, given the competition in the division, that with 75 points, you get into the Champions League. I think yeah. the minute you start going like, and I think the reason people are coming up with 80 and, and maybe slightly above that is because they're looking at the tallies put down by Liverpool and Manchester City. Yeah. To get 92 and 93 points in a Premier League season, as those two did last year, is unprecedented. Okay, Manchester mm. City won the league with with 100 once. There was that season where it was 98, 97. But these two are so superior in terms of the the level and the gap between themselves and everybody else to everybody in the Premier League over the last decade, I would argue. So yeah. I, I think 80 is slightly too high. In terms of a points tally, where mm. are you kind of sitting? Well, if you if you say 75, right? So we got 69 last year. If you say yeah. 75, that's two more wins. And you, you think about the run-in where... 
you know, let's let's not talk about the beginning of the season because that was just, a, I think, a freak thing. Yeah. If, if, we, if we talk about the run-in and some of the losses we had there that were, could have been avoidable, Crystal Palace, um, Newcastle and Spurs, I think, were the three games that, you know, we, we should have done more. Brighton as well. I think if we won two or four of them, we get into the Champions League. So do I think that's achievable this season? Absolutely. Because... As I said earlier, we've added experience to our team and we've added winning mentality to, to our team. And that's in key positions. You know, up front, we didn't have that. So I think, yeah, 75 is probably about what I would go for. And 75 last year gets you third. So I think that's what we should be aiming for. What, what I think we will aim for and where I think we will finish is fourth. I think if we're looking at it, it again, it's between Man City and Liverpool. I mean, at the moment, toss a coin between those two because... You know, we saw them duke it out in the Community Shield and they were pretty level. Um, Chelsea, I think, will drop out of the top four this season. I'm really not, so. not buying into it. I'm not buying into it. I think their business has been really slow. I think they've actually... Uh, I'm not sure if they've got worse, but they've definitely not got a load better because Antonio Rudiger was, you know, unbelievable. One of the best defenders in the world last season, I think. Um so I think Kaladu Koulibaly is a good sign-in, but he's going to take a while to adapt. He's been playing his whole career pretty much in Serie A. So, you know, it's going to be a big, big adaptation period for him. Um, and then Raheem Sterling as well. I think he's a good sign-in, but he's not, you know, a world beater. And they've lost a number nine in Lukaku and they're not signed one. So, yeah, um, Chelsea, I think, will drop out. So I think, um, unfortunately, I think Spurs will finish third. It, it makes me sick to my stomach, but... Yeah. I think they have made smart signings. I don't think they've made signings that that are world class. But you know, when you do have world class players in Harry Kane and you know Son, I think you just need to supplement them. Um, and you know, sixty million on a sort of backup player in Richarlison signals their intent a little bit. And with a world class manager in Con in Conte, of course, I think that will be the difference. Um, so I think they will finish third, and I think we'll be able to get we'll be able to get fourth. I think the competition will be from probably the likes of West Ham more than Man United, I think. Um, but Man United, if they can get it together and get a few more signings, they should be in or in around. So, yeah, I, I do think fourth is where we'll finish. Okay, so you you think that's where we'll finish? So Yeah. Okay, so position. I'm making notes of these so that we okay. can look back at them at the end of the season. I think we'll finish fourth too. And in terms of points, I'm going to say that we should aim for and I th expect us to achieve. I'm going to say 74 points. Mm -hmm. Where are you going on this? I'm going to go 72. I'm going to go 72. slightly lower. I think we'll just about get there. Just about make but it. But it's not going to be comfortable. So like another win on top of last season, basically. Okay. Europa League, obviously a big thing for us again, because we're back in Europe after a season away uh, from the competition completely. Some people suggested that maybe being out of Europe was actually a huge benefit to us because we were able to concentrate on games. I still felt at times because of the way the fixtures worked out, we were at a disadvantage. I still felt at times that some of the players that we had to bring in when we had injuries to the first team were a little bit cold because they mm. hadn't been playing any football, whereas the Europa League would have given them those opportunities. The Thursday, Sunday thing, it's not ideal, you know, and even as and as a fan, it's a pain in the ass. Let's be honest about Absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it does mean that I get to go to football on the Saturday for work and then I get to go to football on the Sunday and then 
uh, get out of the house. So there are positives <laughs> to it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, expectations for the Europa League. I, I'm going to start on this and I'm just going to go out and say it. I expect us to win it. I really do. I think we've we've shown in all the campaigns that we've been in the Europa League, with the exception of maybe one that we, you know, off the top of my head, that we are a really competitive force in that competition. We've been to the semi-finals on numerous occasions. You know, we were beaten by Villarreal, obviously managed by Unai Emery. We were beaten by Atletico Madrid. We went to the final when it was played in Baku and we got beaten by Chelsea. I think that Arsenal should be aiming to win the Europa League. And I think we will. Mm. Bold wow, prediction. Bold. Bold, Normally yeah. I'm a bit more safe in my predictions, but I think Arsenal can win the Europa League this season. What are your expectations of that competition? Um, I think we'll sell through to the to the knockouts and um, probably through to the through to the last sixteen because you know I think we've got enough. I think we've got enough in that sort of backup team to to be able to get there. You know, blitz through the group, which should be pretty easy. But where I think we'll struggle is in that latter stage of the season when we're when we're going for top four. And we've got to play a first string team in the Europa League and in the Premier League because that sort of, you know, after the last 16, the sort of quarterfinal round is where you need to, you know, you can't really afford to to rest players in, in the Premier League or in Europe. So, and I, to, to, to be honest, the reason I say this is because I think this, the backup is good. I think he has improved. I mean, just just look at the sort of defense. I mean, the options we have there, great. Like we don't have our, well, I don't know, first choice fullbacks or what would have been last season first choice fullbacks, Tierney and Tomiyasu, um, in in the team, and we don't have our centre back playing where he's usually playing, but we still look strong. So, I I, th- I think that it has improved in a way, and the Zinchenko signing gives us that sort of versatility um, and cover. But I think we're still lacking in terms of our midfield backups and in, in terms of our attacking backups. I think if uh, if Saka goes out, we've got Nicolas Pepe to come in, who is, you know, been far from convincing on the on the left-hand side. Um, we'll have Smith Rowe, but, you know, questions over his injury record. And then Eddie Nketiah, who, you know, has really improved his game. But, you know, if he's called upon to to, to play in those sorts of games, how how well can he do? So you know, there's that kind of, there's going to have to be some sort of sacrifice, and uh, I would prefer us to really go for the league, to be honest, Harry, because that is a sure way to do it. You know, in in, in an odd game, in a in a tournament game, anyone can win. So I'd, I'd, if if it comes down to it, and we're having to prioritise, I would go Premier League. So for that reason, I'm I'm going to say quarterfinals. We're going to get to the quarterfinals and go out. Yeah, because you you know you can you can get unlucky and draw a really good team in the quarterfinals or, or the semifinals. Um, but I, yeah, I just can't see us going all the way because I think our squad is improved, but just, it's not quite there for me. The, the the lens I look at it through is that we can get through, and I think you touched on it just then, we can get through the vast majority of the Europa League, I think, at least the group stage, at least the round of 32, maybe even the round of 16 by making changes. So I don't think you come to that crossroad whereby you have to make a decision in terms of priorities until the second part of the season. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm, I think that we can manage the workload based on what we've got as long as people stay injury-free. I think when yeah. you look at the team now, 
you know, Martinelli to Smith Rowe is that a big difference in terms of their quality when they're both at full tilt? No, it's not. Well, it's about you know, fitness, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's about fitness. Well. That's exactly the yeah. point. It's about fitness. Yeah. But in terms of quality, there's not a lot in it. You know, on the right-hand side, I think Pepe can do a job in the Europa League. I think that Enketia can do a job in the Europa League. I think that I'd hope that Fabio Vieira would be able to come into the midfield in an advanced position. You know, I'd like to think that in the group stages, even somebody like Lokonga or Neni could do a job in mm. midfield. You know, you could change the centre-backs up. You could bring Tommy Asu in if Ben White's playing it right back at, on the left side. You could go but is this, or Tierney. Is this in the knockout stages, though, Harry, or are you talking about the group stages? Because uh, I, I think, think there's a big difference. I think the group stages, for sure, yeah. and the knockout stages, depending on who your opponent is. Yeah, but that's the no, thing you don't know, you, isn't it? No, exactly. But you need a bit of luck sometimes in these competitions. Yeah. You need the luck of the draw. And, and obviously that plays a big part. Um, okay, so you say quarterfinals. I say yeah. winners. Player of the year. Who do you predict will come out as Arsenal's player of the year? Bukayo Saka obviously yeah. won it last year. Fully deserved, mm. in my opinion, despite dropping off a little bit, I thought, at the back end of the season. Who are you looking at and, and almost expecting that from now? Well, I'm going to be a bit left field. And I think the the obvious choice is probably Saka or or Jesus. Um, but I, I honestly think Zinchenko because but j just because of how much he changes everything and everything that, that we want to do as a team, everything Arteta wants to do tactically. Um, and I know it's only pre-season, but we've we've seen it already where um, in, in the last game, especially against... Um, against Sevilla, not so, a bit less against Chelsea. But when we see that sort of Pep Guardiola tactical, you know, remake, basically Pep Guardiola version two, Mikel Arteta, where you know, remix, yeah, where it's the it's it's the two um three five. So you got the two centre backs, um the central midfielder and the inverted fullbacks basically acting as centre mids and you've got the, the five attackers. And I think there's not really another player in the team that would be able to do that sort of inverted left-back role. And and that's why I think he's just going to be huge for us. So even though he's not going to grab the headlines, he's not going to get the assists, he's probably not going to get the goals if he plays that sort of role. But what I think he does is just free up other players and just make us that more balanced and that much more, um, you know, difficult really for, for opponents to work out. Because, you know, Pep Guardiola's done it with City, um, and they are hard to stop. And just judging by, you know, not only that, the sort of tactics, but talking about the sort of desire, the, the energy and, and everything we've seen in, in preseason, I think that paired with the with the tactical flexibility is going to be a real winner for us. And also, you know, if we if we don't decide to play that way and, and the team switches up a bit, he can play midfield. So, I mean, there's not many players that, that are really that versatile to be able to play those, those positions. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to be the one. I'm going to go with Martin Odegaard. I think that he had a really good season last season overall. I think just like Saka, there were moments where, you know, he was a little bit below the level that we know he's capable of. I think people forget, though, that that was his first full season as an Arsenal player, first full season in the Premier League. Obviously, somebody who is young as well. Um, you know, I know that you know, he's a bit older than some of the others, but he is someone who... You know, I think people forget about his age because of how long he's been on the scene. It, you know, it feels like yesterday that he joined Real Madrid as a 16-year-old, but actually it was quite a while back now. So I'm going to go with Martin Odegaard. I think the captaincy is going to give him a lift. I think for some players, it's a burden 
for others it, it's something that can help them take their game up to a new level that added responsibility his football intelligence is incredible i think that he is very much Mikel arteta's lieutenant out in the middle of the park he takes instructions to people he conveys those instructions uh, to his teammates and i think he carries them out to a tee i think he's going to have an amazing season and he's got a top striker in front of him now to um to feed the supply to. So I'm going to go Martin Odegaard. Just quickly before we move on, um, what's your thoughts on him being named captain? Are you for it? Are you against it? What did you make of of, of him being given the nod, essentially? Yeah, 100% for it. I think, you know, it, it wasn't a shock. We all knew it was coming because he was the one wearing it at the end of last season um, when Lacazette wasn't in the team. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's great news. Um, and yeah, I mean, he started it with lifting a, a cup. I mean... You know, we're not Spurs. We're not going to celebrate winning like the Audi Cup or whatever that crap was that they won. But I mean, look, it it, it adds to it. It helps the the team bonding, and it you know, I'm sure for the the fans in the stadium, it was a nice little end to a you know a battering of Sevilla, which was which was good to watch. Um, so yeah, I think he's been a a leader really, and and the captain in all but name for the last six, seven, eight, nine months since he's really like broke into the first team and. And put his stamp on it and you know he i think he was the, the sort of natural fit because he captains his country um he's got that sort of you know steely resilience he he works hard so he sets the example um you know in terms of his leadership but in terms of how he you know the amount of effort he puts in and that gets everyone else up so there's not really much much else you want from a captain in terms of leading by example but he also is vocal as well so i think he's got the right balance i think a lot of people are sort of saying you know i wanted it to be gabriel i wanted it to be um ramsdale but i think you know odegaard is the the natural fit for me and i, I can definitely see why arteta's done it you need a captain that's not like in the past you'd have looked at a captain and gone i want my captain to be someone who plays on the edge, somebody who's a little bit of a hothead, somebody who's a little bit intimidating in the way that Patrick Vieira maybe was or that Roy Keane was, or, or maybe John Terry was, you know, he was not afraid to get involved in that sort of side of the game. But I think nowadays the, the, the whole mentality around captains has, has shifted. And I think you want somebody that you can trust implicitly to not let his team down. And I think that even when it's not really working for Martin Odegaard in terms of the, yeah. the threading passes through the eye of a needle and, you know, maybe missing opportunities from the edge of the box, he still gives you the basics. He still gives you work rate. He still gives you effort. He still leads the press incredibly effectively. And you know he's not going to do something stupid, yeah. like lose his head and let you down and let who does that sound like harry talking about captains well, yeah i mean yeah granite shaka you know I, I like granite shaka we, we've had this discussion over and over again i think he gets a rough ride from a lot of arsenal fans i think he's one of the captains in the side anyway regardless of whether he's wearing the armband or not and i think when the documentary comes out later this week people are going to see that but you can't trust him 100% to not make a silly challenge oh. to not get drawn into an argument to not lose his call cool. And cost you and, and that's the harsh reality of it isn't it well yeah well i mean it's literally when you were talking about what what you know captains used to be and you want someone who plays on the edge and someone who you know gives everything for the show i mean that is literally Xhaka. that is what he does and you know when, when he did that players tribune interview he was talking about you know i, I don't care if i get cards because i'm committed and i'm going to go in for that challenge yeah and even though that is a that is a you know a 
it's debatable whether that's a good thing or not, but you can't fault his commitment. But yeah, you know, you need your captain to be on the pitch. So you can't have someone that has a tendency to to lose their head and and go in for challenges like that. Mm. Uh, the one thing I will say about Odegaard that he needs to improve on if he's going to lead the team is just I noticed quite a few games last season he went missing. And that's the last thing you want. Not missing in terms of, you know, stop running or anything like that, but he just yeah, just faded away when when games weren't really going our way. He wasn't the one to sort of grab it by the scruff of the neck and, you know, you know, demand the ball every two seconds. Um, but I think it's hard to pin the blame on him, you know, for, for that completely, because I think that that's a team thing. I think we we struggled in losing positions last last season. But what you want is someone to, when he is captain, someone to, you know, lead that charge and lead that sort of fight back. And that's that's the only thing I would say that I want to see from him now he, he has taken on that extra responsibility. That's where I think, though, as a team, we need a little bit more variety in our game. Because if we try and funnel everything through Odegaard, it's it, it's not long before people go, well, if you stop yeah. Odegaard, you stop Arsenal. And that's why it's so important that we've got alternative threats, you know, and, and, and it's why I quite like the idea of this kind of shift in the formation where we do have those two midfielders that can get forward into those half spaces. It's not just about how it, it's not a number 10. Martin Odegaard doesn't play as a number 10. He will drift into that space. No. And he's a creative force, which leads to people labelling him as that. But him and Xhaka, if it is those two in the starting lineup, play in the half spaces. And and I think we've we've been a little bit lopsided as a team for a number of seasons now in that we've had certain threats on one side that we couldn't mirror on the other. And in order to maintain the defensive balance, sometimes we had to be a little bit more conservative on one flank. I want to see, with a little bit more stability, the ability to replicate the same on both sides. And that mm. makes you, as a football team, very, mm. very difficult to stop. And and I think that's yeah. that's going to be key. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, I mm. think my, my point was more about, you know, Odegaard, yeah, like try not to go missing when, when it counts. And that's not yeah. saying that we funnel everything through him, but him just, you know, lifting everyone and get, giving everyone that sort of, you know, push that that he needs to do as captain, and I think that starts with with him. That starts with him, you know, um, you know, putting in those extra yards, like especially when when we're losing, and really making sure that you're demanding the ball at every second and moving around the pitch and trying something different. Because I think that the thing that we really struggled last season is that we were so reliant on the same eleven that you know when it got to that stage of the match when we were losing in the 60th, 70th minute. We didn't know how to do anything else because we didn't have any options from the bench to come on and change the game. But now we do. So I think that will be that that will be a key as well. Yeah, I mean, we've looked at that team in preseason, been quite happy with it and often overlooked the fact that Tommy Asu's to come back, Kieran Tierney's to come back, Fabio Vieira uh, will be in the picture at some point shortly, we hope as well, Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, and, and so when you think about it, there are more options now, probably yeah. still not quite enough. Mm. But there are alternatives and, and we didn't necessarily have that at times last season. You'd look at the 11 and go, OK, that's all right to start the game with. Things wouldn't go our way. And you'd look at the bench and go, mm, not really Yeah, not sure going to change. Yeah. Who yeah. can come on and, and change this? Yeah. Um, just before we move on, because I this has been bugging me as well throughout the show. So I have to bring it up. Mike, our very own uh, George Clooney lookalike here on the Chronicles of Aguna, is uh, is modelling the Arsenal um, away shirt, the, the black shirt, the one that oh, everybody yeah, loves, um, the one that everybody's been talking about, the one that everybody's gone and bought 
Um, he says, uh, Ross says, sorry, in the chat, does anyone else think the stripes on the shoulders of the black away shirt should be gold? Yes, yes, yes. How can all of the, the trimmings be gold and look so good? And then they've gone with gray Adidas stripes. Oh, you don't have shoulders. everything matching. You know, there's there's gray like specs it, here. I you really don't have everything gold. I really like the shirt. I, I really do. But it's just, I, I never really thought about that. It started bugging me at the mm. start of the show. Then I wondered if you'd got some knockoff version from somewhere. <laughs> um, and, I, and I thought, shall I ask him? I'll ask him off there. <laughs> And then Russ brings this up, and it is bugging no, me. So uh, no, I don't agree, fault. man. I don't. I've, I think it's if it's if it's gold on here as well. That's quite a large patch, and they're quite like big stripes. I think that makes it too much gold. Can you? Ever and have also, too much I gold? think it's. I think it's a bit of a bronzy gold as well. It's not like a, a proper like bright gold. Um, mm. So I think it, it'd just be a little bit too much. I, I like the grey because you get specks of grey in it, and it also means that if you're wearing it casual as well, you can mix in like gray trousers and it and it and it goes so you know all, all purposes our very own gok one here on the chronicles <laughs> of um let, let's move on uh let's talk about uh top scorer um mm. i mean the obvious choice here would be uh the brazilian prophet that we've signed from manchester city mm. do you think that gabriel jesus is going to be Arsenal's top scorer come the end of the season yeah yeah. How many do you think he'll get in all comps? All comps. Oh, all, I've, I've not thought about all comps. All right, go I'm with Premier say, League. Um, Premier League, um, I think he's going to score about 17 goals. So that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a big improvement on, on what we've had. On I think four that Lacazette got last season. Yeah, yeah I mean, big improvement. I think Saka was our top scorer on 11. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So it's it's a big improvement on that, and you know, a few more goals in those games that I was talking about earlier. You know, is is the difference. Um, so it's not an overwhelming amount of goals, but I think it's gonna it's gonna you know give us a lot. And just to jump ahead as well, um, you know, with assists, I think he's gonna be most assists as well. Honestly, because really? yeah, I, I do, I do. I think the way he plays, the way he drops deep and brings others into play, I think there's gonna be a menacing link up with him and Gabriel Martinelli because what I was seeing a lot was Gabriel dropping deep and um, Martinelli running in behind. And I think when those two hit that, you know, spark and they, they really get it, I think that's going to be a devastating partnership. And if Martinelli can sharpen up that just a little bit more, that's going to be a sort of assist and goal duo um, that, that that is going to absolutely bang next season. So I think, yeah, he's he's going to get both. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to put him for most assists, Gabriel Jesus. And I think that, you know, people have been almost obsessed by how many goals he's going to score. So obsessed by that, that they've maybe overlooked the fact that he can very much be a provider as well. So I agree with you on that. I think that's a really, really reasonable shout. I think it's a good shout. And so I'm going to jump on it. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run. <laughs> Typical. Um, but top scorer. I'm going to go with Bukayo Saka. Now, I'll explain why. I think that, obviously, Bukayo Saka is, is someone that the Premier League knows very well. Okay, he's an England international. The spotlight is always on him, etc., etc. But I think that the, the dynamism, the tempo 
and the aggression with which both Jesus and Martinelli play the game from the left-hand side is almost going to cause the type of chaos that will create more spaces for Saka to drift into from the right-hand side. I think that last season, Saka was seen as the main threat. Okay, every team we played against, let's do a job on Saka. Let's kick lumps out of Saka at every opportunity. And now you can't focus on him because there's other players that are capable of doing the damage. And I think that that's going to work in Saka's favour. I know that this is a bit of a left-field shout. I know that, you know, if I was if I was a betting man doing this, I'd back Gabriel Jesus. But there's just something inside me that says that yeah. Saka's come on another level. He is mm-hmm. going to benefit from the fact that he's got much more mobility in and around him. I think that all of the focus, particularly in the early season, is going to be on Jesus. And I think that that his movement is so sophisticated, so excellent, that he could potentially open doors for Saka to drift into the types of areas that he maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to do with Lacazette up front because Lacazette was unable to vacate his own position and move to the left, to the right. I think there'll be a lot more interchanging up front than we've seen in the past couple of seasons. I really do. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good shout. And I think that definitely the the sort of vibrancy um, and the efficiency and the sharpness of how Jesus turns with the ball is, you know, that's going to that's gonna hurt defenders because, you know, you look at most like standard Premier League defenders, um, they're not going to be able to deal with that. They're not going to be able to deal with that sort of quickness of thought as well. Um, so the sort of space that, that that's going to create for the sort of, in, we're looking at them as like inside forwards, uh, Saka and Martinelli, which is what, they basically will be now. Saka will play a bit wider, I think, but you know, still he's going to get into those areas in the box as well. Um, I can definitely see that happening, and it's, it's you know what, it's just great to see because I think we spoke a lot about having you know half half the striker that we want in Aubameyang and half the striker that we want in Lacazette, and I think now we've got the complete striker. And I yeah. will just bring it up again that I said that I wanted Gabriel Jesus. You did way way before the transfer window opened. I, I think we did. I, I, you so said I, it before I, there yeah. were any links. Let's be honest. Yeah, you did. I, I, I just, to, I, I just thought it was I had had to and take at it a good price. Um, just, well, just because, like, look, if we would have done what everyone wanted, and you know, sorry, chat, but probably about ninety nine percent, and signed a striker in January, how worse off would we have been now? I think it, it you know, it's obviously difficult to say because it's all, it's you know, it's speculation and, and sort of like us just guessing, but. I think we'd be much happier paying 50 million or 45 million for Jesus rather than 70 million for Isak. Oh god. Just yeah. just just based on, you know, how, even even Vlavic. I think Vlavic would have been a, a good sign-in, but if you ask me who I'd want for half the price, it'd be Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And 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 I have to give you credit. As I said, I'd tip my hat right. to you if I were wearing one. You called Jesus as a, a very good and viable option way before anybody else did. Um, so fair play to you there. You've got to get something right from time to time. Just <laughs> circling back to the top scorer point, just very quickly. Another thing that I forgot to say is looking at the game at the weekend, and I know it's a preseason friendly and you can't always make your judgments based on that. The way that Bukayo Saka went and picked up the ball and took the penalty. I know he was the one that won it, but we saw it towards the back end of last season as well. We saw Saka take on penalty responsibility. That, enhances my case i think for the idea of him yeah, potentially sure, being yeah. a top goal scorer yeah. because i think he'll be on penalties and i think with the dynamism 
with the pace, with the trickery, with the movement that we've got up front, you'd think, but then again, this is Arsenal and, and we don't seem to get them, but you'd think that we should, in theory, probably pick up more penalty kicks yeah. and that could really aid his goal tally, couldn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, next category. Um, who do you think is going to be Arsenal's breakthrough player this season? Now, when I say that, I don't mean some random 16-year-old kid that you've never heard of that's going to come through. Yeah. Who's it going to be? What I mean is, which player in that Arsenal squad do you think is going to break through the their current ceiling? Who level, do you think is yeah. going to go to that next level in the way yeah. that, going back to Saka, he did last season where I thought, following the disappointment of the Euros, he really took it up a, a whole new level mm. in the following mm. campaign. Who is your breakthrough player for the 2022-23 season? I've got I've got so many that I think are, are going to do well. Um, and I, I think I'm going to say <laughs> your one. Basis. Go on. Um, if I'm going to say your one, let, let me know. And then I'll, I'll say someone else. So I was going to no, say Martinelli. Cool. Yep. I'm going to say Martinelli. Is Martinelli mm -hmm. your one? I'll reveal in a minute. Go yeah, on. it is, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, yeah, just just watching Martinelli's um, evolution um, over the last sort of year or so, because, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I was listening to his interview with uh, Ian Wright and he was talking about when he was on the bench and not playing. And he said he was like sad. And I like for, for some reason in my head, I thought that was like years ago, but it wasn't. It was at the beginning of last season. Um, so for him to go from from that sort of disappointment, bitterness, um, for us saying as well, to be fair, you know, we do get things. I have just got something right, but I do get a lot wrong. And I think I said at, at that time, he, he's not he's not really deserving of, of a place in the team. He's not ready. He's not tactically mature. Um, he was still, you know, rushing things. He was just getting his head down whenever he got the ball and running at players. And I think his tactical evolution and, you know, maturity in the last 12 months has been unbelievable. Um, the way that he's sort of, you know, really fitted into what is quite a rigid, um, you know, tactical system um, for such a young player, I think it's been really impressive. Um, and I expect that to go up a whole other level this season. Um, I'm hoping it will be adding goals to his game because I think that's the number one thing. You know, he was he creates chaos and he give gives defenders a tough time. But I think the number one thing you want to see is a bit more um you know assuredness in front of goal and i think i'm hoping that's what we get but if not you know that as i say that link up with with gabriel jesus is going to take martinelli's game to another level because he will have that consistent player to, to to buzz off and link up with and i think lacazette sort of brought that out of him a little bit but i think jesus's link up is just at another level of lacazette because yeah. of the speed that he can do it at so yeah, I I think he's yeah he's he's going to explode this season, hundred percent. Yeah, I I agree with that point as well about Lacazette. Like I I did say at various points last season, and I stand by it that Lacazette did a good job of facilitating the thriving of Saka, of Smith Rowe at times, of Martinelli at times, because of of his link up play. But it was almost like, and when I think about it now, I remember when I was like a lot younger than I am now, and I used to go to football and you know we didn't have enough players sometimes and and like my dad would play and he'd just almost stand in like a five-yard box and literally not move but he obviously wouldn't try and score any goals he'd just get the ball and he'd take a touch and then he'd just look to lay it off to yeah. whoever was making a run in around him and that's a bit like what Lacazette was playing inside like a larger space than a square five yards but you know that yes he could do that bit but he couldn't give you the other side of it. He couldn't 
then spin off, get in the box and finish. I mean, the goal that we scored against Sevilla at the weekend, I think it was the second goal. Lacazette wouldn't pop up on the left-hand side in the way Jesus does. Bring the ball down on his chest, play it inside and then dart into the box and ultimately yeah. be the one that ends up scoring from the edge of the six-yard box. It's, it's another level. And, and we didn't have that before. And, and I agree with you that, you know, in, in Jesus, we've got much more threat. And listen, I'm wary of putting too much on him because I feel like we've, partly because of his name as well, but we've we've kind of almost like made him out to be a messiah, no pun intended. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of other variables that, that could impact him as well that we have to be wary of. I agree with you on Martinelli. That's the one I would have gone for as well. Um, I think that Saliba is someone I'm looking at to, to come mm. in and impress. I think that I'm looking at Martin Odegaard to take it up to another level this season. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Saka to continue his development. I do think it's a big, big season for Emil Smith-Rowe. No questions about his talent, but there is questions about his ability to stay fit. What do you think the season holds for him? Because I think at the moment, he's not in the starting eleven, And that's mm. in stark contrast to the beginning of last season when he'd just been given the number 10 shirt and was very much a part of Mikel Arteta's plans week in, week out. What do you think the future holds for him? I'm a, you know what, if if there's any player I'm a bit worried about, it's him because, um, yeah, he lost his place last season and, you know, that was with him coming on and scoring off the bench three games in a row and he still wasn't starting the next game. So if, if you're making that sort of impact, I think there's something in training that Arteta is seeing from him um, that, is meaning that he's not starting the next game because you can't do anything else in, in the games. You come on and you score a goal. Yeah. You know, there's, there's not much more. So there's something that Arteta's seeing behind the scenes, whether that's fitness, whether that's sharpness, whether that's, you know, you know, an, a niggling injury, whatever it is, I just think he's not quite at Martinez level fitness wise. I think he's there skill wise. Um, I think he's a, he's a great carrier of the ball. Um, and even though he's not as fast as Martinez, I think the way that he travels is, you know, just as impactful. But I think it's that sort of level of energy and, and you know, because, like, the pressing is the most important thing about this Arsenal team now. Like, that is what creates us chances. And we've seen that in the games against Chelsea and, and Sevilla, especially. That press is so organised, so fast, so intense. Um, I think Martinez does that better, and that's why he's playing. And, yeah, I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe's injuries worry me um, because... You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I see him as a winger, Harry, either. I, mm. I think he's a number 10 and we don't play with a number 10. So my my initial instinct is to say that I think he'll be re repositioned as a number eight. Um, but it's whether he can add that sort of deafness to his game that that position requires. Because I think if, if you're looking at a number eight, I think I always look at, the, the type of player that I want that to be is someone like Bernardo Silva, someone like David Silva, uh, someone like Santi Gazzola, where, you know, they've got low sense of gravity, can put in a shift defensively as well um, and have that creative spark. And I don't think Smith-Rowe has that just yet. And I think that's why they've signed Fabio Vieira. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But yeah, just because I'm not sure really, but what do you think his best position is right now? I think he I think he was effective from the left last season. I really do. But in a different way to to Gabriel Martinelli. I think they give you something slightly different. And that's why I like having both of them in the squad. So I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
I think when the game is going to be stretched, I think when you're looking to tuck your fullback into midfield the way that we do with Zinchenko, I think you need a Martinelli because his starting position is so much wider. And as an outlet, he is somebody that you could knock the ball over to diagonally, whether that be from Ramsdale, from Ben White, whatever. And you can set him running at people and trying to get him behind. When you come up against a side that sit with a low block and almost camp on the edge of their penalty area, the space for Gabriel Martinelli to run in behind, which I think is, is what he's most effective at, becomes more limited. And it becomes more difficult to set him free of the defence and get him into the areas that he wants to be in. So attacking that byline, cutting the ball back. I think credit to Martinelli. I think he's become a lot more composed in those situations and a lot less selfish. You know, I thought there was a good example of that at the weekend where uh, I think it was Jesus's second goal where he put the ball into the box. You can see how early he looked up, mm. spotted the run and delivered the pass. In the past, yeah. Martinelli would have just been head down. Let me get to the edge of the box and get a shot off. Yeah. So I think we're seeing that maturity, but I think Smith Rowe's got a little bit more guile. I think Smith Rowe's got a little bit more football intelligence. I think Smith Rowe is a little bit cuter in the way he does things yeah. and is more likely to almost give you a one deft touch that could open up a defence as opposed to driving at someone. I, I, I agree with what you say. I think he does it in a very different way. I think you need both of those options. I really, really do. And I think there are games that suit one and there are games that suit the other. And I think we're going to see if Emil Smith-Rowe does stay fit the interchanging of those two quite frequently based on mm. the opponent. So I think, yeah, both yeah. useful players, but offer yeah. something different for me. Let me, let me ask you then, um, with, so obviously I think it is clear, like from all the reports and stuff that, that we still do want a, a wide forward or like a, a versatile attacker. And it's, you know, Edu's spoken about it, that they, they, they did sort of go in for Rafinha. Why do you think they wanted Rafinha then? Because what was the plan in terms of all the forwards? Honestly, don't know. I don't know Sorry. if I don't know if they think there's a good chance of moving Pepe on. I don't know if they looked at that forward line, looked at their wide options, and thought Emil Smith Rowe still relatively inexperienced, Gabriel Martinelli still relatively inexperienced, Bukayo Saka quite experienced for his age, but still not exactly experienced in terms of his age. I wonder if they looked at that front line and went, maybe we're taking a bit of a punt and a bit of a gamble on relying on all this youth to get us through. And I think actually at times, I, and I said this to you on numerous occasions last season, we suffered from that. We suffered from the inconsistency that sometimes comes with young players yeah. in terms of their outputs. And I thought at times it left us short. I think with Rafinha, based on what Edu had to say, and again, I don't know this, I'm reading between the lines, I think that they saw a potential opportunity to do that deal and so explored that opportunity. But I don't think the interest was as concrete or was ever as advanced as maybe some outlets were reporting. Yeah, I think maybe. I, I believe Edu. I think the conversation was had. I think it was put back to Arsenal that he wants Barcelona, not going to happen. And that was that. And I think it was one of those classic cases where the name got put into the media. Mm. It caught fire. It, it, it spread everybody where everybody started getting themselves invested into the idea of Rafinha, who I think, by the way, is a superb player. I think I mentioned him when we did that same show that you mentioned Gabriel Jesus. I'm pretty sure I put him in 
I don't know about that. Those players. No, I did. I did. Go back and check it out. I don't remember that, but we'll have to get someone to You better do some homework tonight. You better sit (laughs) and scroll back through uh, the Chronicles of Aguna. He's even in the thumbnail, I'm pretty sure. So it should be easy for you to find. But yeah, I I think that there was an exploration of that idea. Yeah. Maybe not any more than that, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Okay. um, One final um, person I want to ask you about. William Saliba. I feel like it would be wrong of us to do a pre-season preview without talking about this guy because there's been so much noise about him from everywhere, despite the fact that he's yet to feature in a competitive fixture, really. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, It's mad. It is mad. And the debate cropped up on numerous occasions last season. Were we right to loan him out? Should we have let him go? Should we have kept him? He's back now. And it looks as though he's staying put. It looks as though he is a part of Mikel Arteta's plans moving forward. What do you think the season holds for him? Regular starter, in and out of the side? How do you see it going for, for the Frenchman? I think that I've been, first of all, like blown away in preseason. Like just watching the guy, even though it is, you know, a slower pace of game, people are getting their fitness. I think Saliba looks you know, different gravy, really. He just, yeah, exudes that dominance and uh, calmness and composure that you don't see from anyone his age. Um, and I think he's a he's a real gem. And I think if we were to, if he was to be put on the market now, I think we'd probably demand, like he'd probably go for about 50, 60 million and we signed him for 27. Um, so I think, yeah, he's, we've already, you know, if, if we if we were to sell him in the future, I think we've already made good on our investment. And that's the sort of signing that, that that we need to make more in the future because at the moment we're selling players that that no one wants. So, you know, whatever happens with him, we've got a valuable asset and he is just a Rolls Royce, like comfortable in the ball, defensively sound. Um, but I'm not going to get too hyped yet because I want to see him in an actual competitive environment because he's played in, in Liga, which is obviously of, of a lower standard than the Premier League. But he's played against the likes of Mbappe and Neymar and Lionel Messi and he's he's held his own so I think he can do it but I want to see him do it before I go too overboard and you know call him like you know future legend of the club um I want him to start against Palace because I think he's earned it oh absolutely I think the same 11 that started against Sevilla plays against Palace 100 percent um and I think they deserve to just, I said this was the final thing. I, I just want to ask you one more because yeah. I did put this on the list that I WhatsApped you, but I missed it on my notes yeah. here. Surprise package of the season. Who yeah. do you think is going to come in and and almost, I'm not going to say exceed the levels that we think they're capable of because that feeds mm. into kind of the breakthrough category that we did. But who do you expect to, to come in and, and basically shut people up? And who do you think is going to come in and, and say to people, I'm here? I'm an Arsenal player. Let's go. Cedric Suarez. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, I think my surprise uh, is slightly different. I think I'm going to go for someone who um, no one really knew about. Um, and I think that's Marquinhos. I think he's been, yeah, he's shown like promising flashes in, in preseason, but yeah, I, I don't know. I really think he's going to have a role to play in the in the Europa League. Um, he's obviously, he's probably not second choice, 
But I mean, if if he can get some game time in ahead of Pepe, I think we're going to see a, a real player. Um, and I think, you know, our, our scouting in, in Brazil based off some of the players that we've signed, like Martinelli, is, you know, is is incredible. The fact we got him for, what, 7 million? And he's probably, you know, Jurgen Klopp is always talking about him, like one, one of the best. You know, that absolutely winds me up, by the way, I have to say. Yeah, um, but, you know, just, he's just back off. Yeah, shut up, man. Like, you know, don't talk about our players because um, we, we'd never do that. Um, but yeah, he is unreal. So if Marquinhos can even, you know, live up to 50% of what Martelli has, has achieved already in his short Arsenal career, I think he'll be he'll be on to a winner. And it's interesting because it's a different profile of winger. Like he's quite well built, isn't he? Like he's not the sort of... He's a tank. The guy's yeah, a tank. He's not the like unit. the sort of archety- archetypal, um, you know, skinny tricky you know fast he's yeah he's, he's just a different profile and it, it really excites me it, he's another lefty as well which you know aesthetically i like to see and i really think he's gonna have a role to play in the europa league yeah i i didn't really think about marquinhos when i was kind of thinking about this it, obviously i was looking at the players that come in there was a part of me when we signed marquinhos that thought we might just loan him out straight away yeah yeah and the longer the summer goes on and, and the fact that we haven't done it yet, you can't rule it out. There's still time to go. But I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'll be surprised if he's in and around the squad. Not if he's in and around the squad, but if he's as involved as, as maybe some people are suggesting. I, I don't mind him being involved, obviously. But yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's... Is there a, um is there yeah. a chance of him not getting a Europa League registration place? Um, I guess it depends on the size of the squad, doesn't it? Like, and I think this is why, you know, I think a lot of people kind of bemoaned the fact last season that we were a little bit short in numbers by the time January ended. But I actually think it's part of the strategy not to leave yourself short, but to have a smaller group. Yeah. I think Liverpool are the, the perfect example of that. They built a small group, a small core group that was very engaged, very connected. And, and you saw in the season when they lost a couple of centre-backs and then went on to lose others later on in the season what an impact that had but that's part of what it takes to really embed a culture and a mindset into a group of players you don't have those people that are walking around unhappy because they're not involved you don't have those people who are disengaged disenfranchised you have solely a group of competitors who want to be in the team and and feel a part of that so i think part of the 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 whole cultural shift involves having a smaller group um but yeah, I, and and I I guess if you've got a smaller group, then you should be able to, you know, register everyone. But that depends on what we can do, doesn't it? Between now and the end of the window, um, yeah. In terms of uh, in terms of outgoings, my kind of um, sort of breakthrough, not breakthrough because we've done that already. But the person I think is going to surprise everybody next season is Eddie Nketiah. I was really impressed by what I saw of him at the back end of last season. I thought he was much more dynamic. I thought he was much more confident. I thought he led the press very, very well. Um, I thought he ran channels very, very well. I thought he showed composure in some moments where, you know, in the past it would have eluded him. There were still some some bad misses last season from Eddie and Ketia. But I think overall he matured quite a bit. And I think that he's not going to come into the team and displace Gabriel Jesus, but I think he'll be a much better deputy and a much better supporting cast member than maybe people um give him credit for or gave him credit for when it was announced that he signed that new contract but yeah let's see let's see how it goes okay 
that brings us to the end of our season preview. We've discussed how many points Arsenal will finish on, where we expect them to finish in the league table. We've discussed the Europa League campaign that is yet to begin, who our player of the year uh, is going to be, top scorer, most assists, breakthrough player. And we will revisit these at the end of next season and see how wide of the mark we were, basically. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. If you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. If you're listening to us on audio, please do leave us a review. Apologies that we didn't get into the chat too much tonight, but we will over the course of the week as we're building up to that big Premier League kickoff against Crystal Palace on Friday night, spend a lot more time on Q&A. Uh, so please keep the questions coming. Keep the interaction coming. Like, subscribe. You know the drill by now. Give Mike a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Stavrou. Follow the show at Chronicles underscore AFC. And we will be back very, very soon with more. So until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.